are listening to Stories from Palestine podcast, a podcast recorded in Palestine and about Palestine. My name is Crystal. I am originally from the Netherlands and I am married to a Palestinian. We live in Beit Safafa between Jerusalem and Bethlehem and we run Singer Cafe and Al Chisar Bar in Beit Zahur. Before moving to Palestine in 2013, I worked as a teacher and tour guide in the Netherlands. I have a degree in history and in tour guiding and many years of tour guiding experience. Due to the COVID pandemic, tourism in Palestine came to a complete halt and that's why I started Stories from Palestine podcast in August 2020. This is the second year of the podcast with every week on Monday a new episode about the history and heritage of Palestine as well as the reality of life today. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the second episode of season four. I think from my voice <coughs> you will hear that I am struggling with a cold. I've been coughing and sniffing all the week as well as our kids. We did do a corona test and the result was negative so it is a common cold but we've been around the house all week. The kids didn't go to school and they couldn't go to their second and third swimming classes. So that was a bit of a bummer. But yesterday I did teach the first Zumba class in a very long time. And that was fantastic. That probably didn't really help my voice because I do shout a lot during the Zumba class. And it seems that it affected my voice. And I also attended an amazing concert yesterday night at our bar Al Jisser in Beit Zahur. And I can recommend you check out Akram Abdul Fatah, who plays the violin. And with his band, he gave an incredible concert last night. So all in all, it was a very nice day yesterday, but you can hear the effect of that on my voice. And unfortunately, in the following interview, the audio of my voice is not great either, because I hadn't used the online recording service for a long time, and I think I did something wrong with the settings. So it seems that my voice wasn't picked up from my microphone, the external good quality microphone, but from the laptop microphone. Thanks God, my guest had a good headset, so his voice is clear, and that is what is most important. But I make this disclaimer the audio quality of my voice in this interview isn't the best. This week I interviewed Mustafa Shteti and we talked about the Janine refugee camp and the Freedom Theater. I met Mustafa about 13 years ago when I used to visit the Freedom Theater in Janine quite regularly. During one of those visits there was a guy that took us around the refugee camp and later I realized that this was Zakaria Al-Zubaydi, one of the founders of the Freedom Theater and one of the Palestinian political prisoners that freed himself from the Gilboa prison in Israel recently. He and three others were recaptured after several days. When I saw a photo on Mustafa's Facebook page of him and Zakaria when they were young, I realized that they knew each other. And then I reached out to Mustafa to check on him and to see how he was doing. And that's when I realized that he had actually moved to live in Holland, in my country. So we talked for a little bit and then I asked him if he was willing 
to speak about Janine, about the refugee camp and the Freedom Theater, and what his experience with the Freedom Theater meant to him, how it affected his life, and he agreed to do it. We decided not to speak a lot about Zakaria because that is currently a very sensitive topic. But in this interview, you can know more about the history and background of the Freedom Theater in Janine. Mustafa, we met first in 2007 or 2008, I think. I don't really remember exactly. And after that, we have met several times in the following years. Now we haven't seen each other for quite a lot of years. And since uh, I be in touch with you again, I found out that you are actually living in my country. You are living in a city not far from Amsterdam, married or not married, but at least in a relationship with a Dutch woman and having a child. And it's so good to be in touch with you again and uh, to see you. Thank you very much for giving me some of your time. How are you? Thank you very much for this. And this is a beautiful country. And I am married to a Dutch woman, Sanaul, my wife's name. And we have a beautiful child. And this is funny. This is how life goes. You are in my country. <laughs> I'm in your country. <laughs> so let me ask you, what did you eat tonight? Tonight, we had a burger. And then for dinner, we had salad, Arabic salad, with the eggplant in the oven. How did you cook? Yeah, I cook most of the time, yes. <laughs> I was going to say, Dutch cuisine is not really the, the most amazing. It's actually not bad. I uh, like a croquette a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a frikandale and herring and kibbling is every day something. Fish is, I don't eat a lot here, even though my mother-in-law, she cooks fish sometimes. But we had fasulia today. We had some leftover barbecue from yesterday because yesterday was Yom Kippur. And then they close all the roads here. And so a lot of Palestinians at home stuck. We can't go anywhere. So we did a, a barbecue. It's really nice to see you, Mustafa. I think I was in my early 30s when we first met. And I don't know what's your age right now. I'm 43. What's your age? I'm 35. Yeah, okay. So we have a little bit of, uh, of difference. So how old were you at the time when we met? Oh, I was young and uh, full. Um, <laughs> I was 22. And I just start working in a freedom theater. So I met uh, you in Beit Sahur, I think. Uh, you were doing African dance. You still do that? God, yeah. Uh, yeah, I still teach Zumba classes. Yeah. And actually, we found a deaf teacher from Ramallah who comes sometimes to teach us afro depka a combination of African dance and depka. So yes, yes, it's still my passion to dance. So yeah, we met here in Beit Sahur and then... I think I came and visited you in Janine. That's right. Can you tell our podcast listeners maybe a little bit about Janine before we talk about the Freedom Center? What is Janine like, and especially the refugee camp? Janine is a beautiful city. I think it's one of the most beautiful landscape in the West Bank of Palestine. It's on the north side of Palestine. Mostly people live there are working in agriculture since it have the most uh, open land uh, for growing vegetables that can be provided to the West Bank. And even before 48, they were um, exporting watermelon mostly to the Arab countries and Europe. I was born and grew up in Jenin. Although my father is from the camp, my father is a refugee, was born in Haifa. 
and left as a young baby with his family at 48 to Jenin refugee camp. Jenin refugee camp is like any other refugee camps for Palestinians inside uh, Palestine and outside. It's very crowded, very hard conditions of life, minimum resources, food, health care. Also, the camp has been, and probably still, under a heavy attack during the first intifada, especially mostly in the second intifada. It was destroyed in 2002 by bulldozers of the Israeli army after a long um, 12 days of a battle. So it was hard somehow to grow up in such an environment. But beside that, uh, we had quite a nice time. In the time where there were not heavy attack or heavy war, it's a beautiful city, beautiful people. Everybody is like connected to everybody. Once you live in a hard situation, somehow it makes people more close to each other. So it's hard at some point. For me, it was hard since I was born in 86 and the first intifada started at 87. So from 87 till 94, that was the agreement. It was kind of a tense first years of my life. Also, mentioning that my father was arrested by the Israeli army at 89. And he was released in 48 uh, the last time. And then from uh, being involved also with Arna, Merhamis also talk about theater. You know, if you talk about the theater, it's all of my life. So as I said, you know, once you have a hard time, suddenly you find another window open in your life to give you hope, to get you going. And for us at that time, it was Arna Merhami. She built the stone theater and my mother was her personal assistant. So I was involved in that, these cultural activities every day. And it was big, big help for me to, to get back into having hope in life. Yeah, before you continue to tell us about the Freedom Theater, did you attend school and did you manage to finish your school and your high school and study? Yeah, I studied in Jenin City. I finished my high school with a good mark, and then I went to university in Nablus, and that was 2004. I was still pretty further going, so we decided to move to Jenin, Arab American University, to finish my study because the situation was a bit hard. So I studied management information systems. That I don't know what does it mean right now. And then you got involved in the Stone Theater. Can you tell a bit for people who have no clue who is Arna and what is the Stone Theater? Yeah, Arna Merhamis, she's an Israeli Jew. She was born in a Zionist family in the early 50s. Her family came from Poland and she was involved first in her life in the Balmach group. And the Balmach was one of the Jewish Zionist group that were armed before establishing the uh, state of Israel in '48, Then later in her life, she started to, you know, grow up mentally. And then she changed her uh, ideas about the whole situation. And then in the 60s, she met a Palestinian Christian a man from '48 from Rainy. And he was also in a communist party. He was one of the first people who established the communist party in Arab community in Israel. So she fell in love and she had the three children from him. She became a peace activist and then she became later very strong freedom activist. She was like saying that I'm not here to make peace between victim and criminal. I'm here to provide these people as much as I can in my life, especially children, the hope for freedom. So in the late 80s, she met my mother 
while she was working on something called Women in Black. So Arna established a group of middle-aged Jewish women that they go to the Israeli prisons mostly and try to prevent the soldiers to be violent. So they were mostly protecting the Palestinians' families in a jail from the Israeli soldier behavior. Since they are also old and respected and they have done in their lives, they have a kind of a power over these young soldiers. And they were also going to the streets, they were doing all of this. And she met my mother and she had the idea of coming to Jenin and opening a center for children that at least they can draw and play with toys, you know, minimum of the basics of any child in the world would need in his life at the time. Uh, in the first intifada, we had long curfews also. There was like so many years that we didn't go to school at all. Some years we went to school for two months only, altogether three months. So education system totally fell down at that time. And there was the only alternative way to open the center that first children can not go to the street or get themselves killed by coincidence or not, but to be a place that they can do cultural activities and this improved into being a stone theater and it became a professional theater when Giuliano, her son, did his own journey of founding himself, being in the army and then being kicked out of the army, being in jail and being in India, doing meditation, doing all of the spiritual activities you can think about and then realizing that he was there for a reason and he had this power for a reason and he decided to join his mother and make it from very basic amateur center into a professional theater and that was in 92 till 94 and then 95 Arna died and Giuliano found himself alone and they decided to go back to Israel and continue a life until he decided again to come back in 2006. When you were younger, younger boy, you already met with Arna and you met with Giuliano and then he left out of your life again. Do you remember that moment or how did that feel when somebody who came and invested in you as children then disappeared again? Well, Arna was living in our house mostly, so she had a big impact on us. She was like a second mother, to be honest with you, because we were six children and was my mother busy. So we needed also somebody. She was helping also my mother also raising us up if you do something, if you deal with your sister with a violence way, she was always... So she was part of the family, basically. She was like a second mother for us and for so many children, but mostly for us. She sleeps in our house. For Giuliano, at that time, he came as like a big star. He was already in Hollywood. He was already... You know, he traveled all over India on a motorcycle. He was like shining of power. So as a 10 years old, 9 years old, for me, a boy was like, has no chance to really have contact with him at that time. So it was like only this idol coming back, talking to children who are older than us. But he was a big idol for me. He was like the hero of mine. Seeing him, how he act, how he talk, how he move was a big thing. But to be honest with you, even though he left after 95, he was coming to visit from time to time. He came to visit his friends before the second intifada. I'm talking like from 96, he came, 97, he was coming almost once a year or once every two years. So he was coming from time to time, but I didn't have any personal connection with him at that time until 2006, where he recognized me, but then we started 
to be friends and he started to be my teacher and to be everything in my life. Yeah, he came back and something happened so that the Freedom Theater was established and I think there were some other people involved, including Zakaria Zubaydi. Yeah, he made a movie. He made his movie, Anna's Children. He collected the footage he had and Zakaria was in the movie. And then there was there were three of them who started the Freedom Theater. There was Jonathan Stanzak, who was a Swedish activist, and he's also a Jew. And there was Giuliano Merchamis and there was Zakaria. And the start happened between Jonathan and Zakaria, where they met. And then Zakaria suggested to contact Giuliano, since he had experience and he had done it before. But Jonathan was the provider for the international connection and basically the starter of the money to build up the theater with the equipment. So, yeah, three of them were the main founders for the Freedom Theater. And what do you think was their main aim? What was the goal with starting a theater in the middle of a refugee camp? It was clear, Chris, at the time you see the impact of the violence of the Antifada on the faces of the children. I'm not going to even talk about the faces of the older people because for me it's like very hard to deal with those. They somehow managed to build up a way to close down themselves and I think it's too late. The most problematic were the children who had no experience of how to deal with these emotions, how to deal with these difficulties, how to deal with this huge amount of brutality of life. They lost hope in everything. They lost hope in life, and that was very dangerous. Most of them, they just wanted to die. And the others were like blaming themselves for this because they don't deserve a better life. So you were dealing with children, you can see in their faces, they are old people. They are 12 and 13 years old, but you see a face of 95 years old boy, a man, a girl. So it was clear that you have to do it for the children to at least provide hope in life. Like there is some kind of a hope that maybe that your life can change. Maybe you can enjoy life. Maybe there is a way to do this. And if it's a theater, a theater, you create a new reality. You get into the room or in the theater, this black box, and then you can create totally different, you disconnect totally from the outside world, mentally and physically. And then you can show what life can be, show, open up imagination, all of this. That was mainly the reason. And how did it work in practice? Who were the trainers? Did they bring in people? Was it very professional? Did they really try to make a performance to perform? Or was it actually more like a sort of social therapy kind of session? Because you also took part in it, right? You have this experience as a child, or not as a child, you were more like a teenager, I guess. Yeah. Now, we talk about the Freedom Theater. The Freedom Theater, at the end, for me, at the end was 2011, and I was still going. But from my experience, at the end, it was a very professional theater. And we have people from all over the world, very good people, very experienced people in the field of theater and cinema, by the way. In the beginning, it started as social. Of course, even it was therapeutical all the way, all the time. So the show was kind of therapeutical for the audience, which is mostly the children. The practice, the trainings for the olders who became actors after, because we opened an acting school in the Freedom Theater, there was also therapeutical. So all of these guys who are now basically famous actors, like Iyad Hourani, he did already two or three movies in Hollywood with famous people. 
you know, we have so many actors from the Freedom Theater. They, they have done their journey of success. But also it was kind of a therapy process of learning the theater. But mostly the main content of teaching and training was Giuliano Merhamis himself. But as I said, we have so many other people. I was involved in the theater activities in the beginning, mostly the social one and the therapy one. But later on, we decided to open also a media center, which we started to do also filmmaking together with the therapy. Also, it was therapeutical and revolutional with the topics and with the quality of the work we had. And what was the response of the adults in the camp, the parents, the people who were not coming to the theater to see what was going on? To be honest with you, I'm going to be like frank. So many people did not like the idea of the theater, not rather than look at the details of like having boys and girls training together, having international people all the time and the behavior also of because you know to build up an actor you can't just contain him in a box being an actor is being free being in a control of yourself this is very important to basic of of being in them an artist so being an artist and being in a refugee camp and being in conservative environment does not work all the time so we had a lot of complaints from the people here and there. Also, it was like long term of building up a trust relationship first with the neighbors because they are the most effective ones. The neighbors who are not involved in the theater, they just happen to be living next to the Freedom Theater. And it was like long process of like building up trust with them. It was also long process of building up trust with the camp itself. And to be honest with you, that was mostly Zacharias and all of them, people who are from the camp role to build up the connection and just to explain to people this place is for the children of the camp is not to corrupt them it's just to build them up and give them hope and this is exactly what we're doing but yeah so many people were not happy about it that's right and what was the response of the israeli military or the people in charge of the camp from the israeli side because i don't know how would they see the theater and what was going on there they were always looking for people who were the fighters in the camp, the people who were fighting for their freedom, and they were oppressing that. But all of a sudden, there is this theater in the camp. What kind of response did that create? To be honest, before Giuliano was killed, we didn't have any incidents to be touched or in contact with them, the Israeli army or Israeli government. I think they have seen us as just a group of crazy people trying to prove something. So I don't think we were a danger or we were considered a problem. But I think also it was problematic if it crossed some lines. I don't know, like also being political, talking about Palestinian case, especially abroad, that was something they would concern. We didn't have any issues with the Israeli before Juliano was killed, but after he was killed. Most of the employees have to be integrated for information. Can you tell us more about that? Because Giuliano was killed in 2011, I think. Yeah, what's the story behind that? I guess some people may have heard things, but I've never heard anything firsthand until now. Is there something you can tell about that? So many people hear things, so many people say some things. And there's so many scenarios, I even stopped thinking about them. But to be fair, and also, again, to be honest with you, I don't know for sure. Like, nobody is now. 
And I was not there even during the incidents. It also made it more confusing for me. It um, took me years to decide not to think because I think part of the crime was creating confusion. And I think it succeeded as well as killing Julianos to create confusion who were there. Were Israeli, they were Arab, they were Muslim, they were his friends, there were like so many scenarios. For me, I decided not to think about why and who killed it rather than think who is Giuliano and the reason that he was there. What did we learn from him? This is more important because otherwise you're going to get lost in between. But still, for sure, we don't know. And Mustafa, what is it that you learned from him and from the theater? What do you see now that you are older? that you can say, yeah, this is something that changed my life or that I take with me for the rest of my life from that period. I have so many things. I really can't put it in one thing, but I think uh, mostly it's courage of being myself. It's like I'm not afraid of being myself, of expressing myself in the way it is. Because I was built up and grew up on fear. And I don't talk about fear. I'm not only talking about the Israeli occupation. I'm also talking about like all aspects of life. You have fear in school. You have fear in home. You have fear in the street. You only have fears. And you only act after fears and ask you to behave in a way that you would please or you would not put yourself in a danger. So you create some different personality out of yourself because you're afraid to express yourself as who you are. And I think the most important thing I think from there is just be myself because I believe I'm a good person, I'm a good guy, I have a good heart, I have no reason to be afraid from whatsoever. Just be myself. Basics, that's it. Be yourself. That's I would give for Giuliano. Now that you are abroad and you are so far away from Palestine, if you look on a map, but I guess with your heart, you never be far away from here. And especially with what's been happening in the last week, can you give us a little bit of insight? How does that make you feel? What does that do with you? How is Palestine still part of your life? Palestine is me. That's who I am. And it can be something else. But also, it's not only, but the political situation that I live is not only me. I am a human being living on this earth. I react and influenced by everything going around me. So I think if you contain yourself in a certain box, I think even Palestinians should be open more to different aspects of life. But Palestine is in me. It's where I grew up. It's what I've done all my life. It's what built me up. And I feel worried when I know that the situation can blow up. I feel worried for my family, for my people, for my history, experiences, memories in this place. And really, when I came here and I know what is normal life, what is to just, you can walk without being worried that you, at night, or you can travel without a passport, just like basics of life. And I just feel sad that my happiness is not completed because I know my people are there. And so, of course, whatever happening in Palestine is affecting me all in the news. If it was a war, if it was closure, tension, I'm always following up and feel like I'm there. It's interesting because, you know, we just came back from a long stay in the Netherlands for the summer holidays. And I realized with my children, who are five and seven, that now they start to know that there is a difference between the country and the way we live in this country. And especially the oldest one, Louisa, she's seven and she's also pretty smart, I have to say. She started to realize that things here are more 
complicated, more limitations. There is checkpoints, especially that we have to cross checkpoints every day. Even to go to school, we pass by the soldiers. And we talk about settlers. When she hears sounds here, she's always on edge. She's like, Mama, what is this? And the other day she was asking me, are they going to start bombing again? You know, and when we were three months in Holland, she would not ask me about these sounds and she wouldn't ask me about violence. And here, I've, yeah, I've had to talk with her about death already, especially in May when we had all the killing going on in Gaza and in Jerusalem. And it's not the topic that I imagined I will be talking about with my seven-year-old, you know. And this is maybe something we would not have to do in Holland. But yeah, I can see that growing up here or being in Holland, I always feel that it's a kind of tension that you live here all the time and you almost normalize it. But then when you come to, to another country, then you just feel like, oh yeah, that's not normal. This should not be the daily reality. And that's why I think theater, for example, it's so important. I'm actually hoping to enroll my kids in theater or in the circus school, Palestinian circus school. I should also do an episode about that because I think what you said, being able to express yourself is so important and being able to come very close to your identity and to know who you are and what is your path in this life super important and maybe that brings me towards a kind of closure of our conversation but you mentioned to me that you were in India and I'm a little bit interested to understand your path because if you go there and you go meditating and you become more like knowing yourself deeply what is it that you find for yourself that is your true you or your true path First of all, I want to comment about what you said about your children asking about situation. I think you are more Palestinian than me because you have a choice to do this and to put yourself and your family in such heavy reality because I know how much you love Palestine. I think you not only deserve a Palestinian passport, but you probably deserve a diplomatic Palestinian passport. But India was freedom for me. As I said, I lived all of my life in this situation and was continuous daily life, political and trying to find out uh, reasons and uh, questions, answers, all of this. And I just decided to live the Mustafa out of this for a while. I just disconnected from whatever I lived, whatever stories I have done, whatever thing happened in my life, and just live my soul as a clear, pure, born soul in India. And it's a huge country, beautiful so many beautiful, simple people who just live their moment of the moment. They wake up in the morning, try to find their food, go back home, sleep, basics, enjoy life, living every breath they have. And that was the thing I was looking for. Meditation came after the technique, the ways of connecting to your higher self, to put yourself in peace. But what I was looking for, just living yourself connected with the nature that's what we should do that's what we are just enjoy nature life connection relationships love all of this is just only the basics of life is enough for you to be happy that's what made me happy that's what i'm doing right now try to find the basics of relationship and connection to the nature and do my journey I'm going to ask you this question because this is something that's keeping me busy and you may be 
the person who has some kind of insight. Because for me, and people who listen to my podcast, they know that meditation, mindfulness, and being at peace with your heart has been so important in my journey. But now I'm thinking always, and this is kind of controversial maybe, but for those people who need this too, but how do you find this if you are growing up and living in a refugee camp where you have no privacy, where you have every night Israeli soldiers entering into the camp and arresting people and continuously hear about violence and all of the difficulties that these people are struggling? How can somebody who is there and who cannot leave and just go to India, how can they connect to themselves and find this peace of heart? Is that even possible? Of course it is. And meditation is only a way to get to that point. And the point is feeling connected with yourself, connected to your environment and living the moment. This is the goal. This is what everybody looking for happiness. And meditation is one of the ways to do this. But also meditation is not the only way. Theater, what we had in the Freedom Theater was meditation. When a kid came into this black box and saw this play, he was in the moment. His head was not on his fear. He was not and his father gonna beat him or like what mother get he was in the moment so there is so many ways theater is one of the ways all cultural activities is one of the way to do this and juliano was trying to prove people what we're doing here is not alternative what we do is not secondary what we're doing here is primary activities that really what the palestinians need right now especially the children so I would say if you can't travel right now with the COVID, everybody can't travel, it's not only Palestinians. And if you don't want to try to know more about meditation and yoga, any activities that you like to do is a meditation. Even prayer, if you pray as a Muslim, as Christian, as whatever you prayer, if you do it out of your heart and you're connecting with it, it's good enough to put you in a peace with yourself rather than do it because you want to go to heaven, just do it for the sake of connection, of loving it. So any kind of activities is good enough. As Palestinians, what we read right now, more than growing agriculture and like trying to provide our own food is also cultural and artistic activities. I guess that's what I've also been doing here with my Zumba classes. And that's been for myself and for the women and men also now who are joining, that being in that moment and just dance is kind of a form of meditation you're right mustafa thank you i really appreciate that you gave your time and shared with us a bit of your experience it's a really a journey your life and i'm so excited that i'm back to be part of that and to be able to follow up on what you're doing now so i really hope next summer i'm going to be able to visit in holland thank you very much chris and one of the things i miss in palestine Just a drink coffee in Singer Cafe in Pizza Oh, <laughs> Next time you come, coffee is on me. <laughs> Inshallah. If you want to know more about the history of the Freedom Theater, or if you want to watch the movie Arna's Children, then go to the show notes and find the direct links. Thank you for listening to Stories from Palestine. If you enjoy the podcast, then here are several things you can do to support the show. Tell your friends about the podcast. Share some of the social media posts on Instagram or Facebook. 
start following the YouTube channel. You can also hear the podcast audio there. And soon I will start uploading videos. Sign up for the email list so that you get a reminder with a clickable link to the new podcast episode. And in the future, you will be updated about programs and trips that I will start to organize. And of course, you can donate to help me pay for hosting the podcast and the website and all the related recording costs. It's the only source of income I have at the moment, so you can imagine how much I appreciate every cup of coffee or falafel sandwich that you buy me on the coffee platform. All the links that you need can be found in the show notes and on the website storiesfrompalestine.info. That's it. I hope you will tune in again next week. Thank you.